You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Absolutely incredible night and man what an incredible morning to be together and as you are making your way and finding your seat if you've got some space to the right or left of you and you need to scoot in to open up some of our side apps we still have folks that are trying to make their way in to sit so if you don't mind to scoot on in and we're going to continue to celebrate what it is that God has done this morning to start that celebration, uh, we need to recognize some of our folks from our chili cook-off. How many of y'all got some good chili last night? Yeah. We had three different categories for chili last night, and man, I just want to tell you that Robert and Ben and some of the men within the ministry here just owned that space, and we had almost 28, almost 30 chilies that were prepared, everything from lamb to apple streusel chili to some stuff that tried to be hot but wasn't. Um, there were some great things out there, and so our three categories for awards for chili this morning are best tasting hot and spicy, and most unique. And so to kick it off, the best tasting chili. Give it up for Mark Olin. Mark, we got you the Memphis Christian Church spoon that is now engraved as the master chili cooker. Congratulations. For the hottest and spiciest chili, and uh, I don't have nearly as good of a gift that we gave last year for this, but Mr. Lynn Haven taking it home for hot and spicy this year with his biscuit chili. But we did get you, Lynn, a fire extinguisher for the next time that you prepare that, just in case somebody uh, <laughs> combusts <laughs> into flames. And last but certainly not least, the truly most unique chili is given to one of the most unique men, a cinnamon roll, caramel, apple, streusel, chili. Not good. Not good. I tasted it. It is not chili. It was more of a cake. Jason Toby, thank you for blessing us. And for you, sir, we got you a cookbook so that way you can read up on how to actually make chili next time. <laughs> well, last night was incredible. Um, I, I just continue to replay some of the moments from last night. And, and for those of you that are here this morning for the first time off of an invitation from last night, I'm so glad to see your face and I hope we have time to get to know each other a little bit better after the service. But I, I wanna celebrate the fact that we believe, because it's hard to count, we had over a thousand children come through last night for Fall Festival, which equates to about 2,000 people that were here on the property. In fact, there was so much of a ruckus that um, the Block Watch Facebook page, I know you guys know about the Block Watch page, they made a post last night and they said, Trunk or Treat is in full swing. I don't know where else to post this, but man, what a beautiful night it was. And that picture is a drone of someone who flew that out of their subdivision, not us, and they took a picture of a line of cars from the entrance of the church down at the bottom, past the expressway of people waiting to get in last night that we could love and encourage in Jesus. Yeah. 
And I'll tell you, it, it's exciting to celebrate individuals um, because those individuals have a story. Each of us have a story, a purpose by God that we're able to plant seeds for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not so that we can just have the biggest party on the block, but that we can have an opportunity to invest and show the love of Jesus into each person that came on this campus last night, from trunk or treat to chili to a juggler throwing fire in the air to all the things in between with food prep. Thank you, church, for your intentionality and for the fruit that we'll continue to see from the seeds that have been planted. And I want to start this morning by simply just thanking God through prayer and asking that he would continue to water and nurture those seeds. Will you join me in that now? Father, thank you for the reality of what it is that you have done and what you continue to do. It is not by mistake or happenstance that you orchestrate all things for your glory, from the weather to the moment to the people that you had to give what they had for the glory of you last night. And God, I pray for the seeds of relationship that have been planted, that they would take root, that there would be a question of why so loved, why so much attention to detail, why so much investment. And it's because we want everyone to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we thank you that we have an opportunity to do that. As broken and sinful people that know you, that we may declare your goodness through a simple bowl of chili and through intentional giving of candy and decorations. Father, we pray that you'd water those seeds, that they would sprout for people to want more and to know more of you. May we continue to be a people on mission that have eyes to see what you see, that our hearts would feel what you feel for the people around us. And God, would you continue to use us as your hands and feet as you make your glory known. God, what do you want to do with our lives? We're ready, and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, I don't know if oftentimes we think about the power of what we just did together. Uh, obviously, we're in corporate time of worship. We're in the gathering together. But there is something immensely powerful and profound about the mystery of prayer. That God isn't just up there trying to wade through all of the noise of prayer, but rather he intentionally hears each and every one of the words and hearts of those that just called upon him for those that need to know who he is. You see, a lot of times we skip over the whole idea of prayer when we're busy or when we've got uh, things that we're trying to get to or when we feel like we don't have enough time. And oftentimes we often find ourselves even a little bit intimidated by prayer. Yet within this series, we're talking about what it means to be set apart for the gospel, how we are to look differently from the world. And the Bible is perfectly clear that God's people are to be known by people of prayer, that we have been called and commissioned to be a people that call upon the name of the Lord. We are called by God to be marked and set apart as people of prayer. And Paul, the apostle, the disciple of Timothy, he writes about this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And so as you're pulling your things out and you're getting your bulletin ready, I want to encourage you to go ahead and start turning there in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And as we do, I want us to consider even some of the holdbacks that we might have when it comes to why we do not pray. And I know it seems like a simple thing, but... The reality is that there is things that hold us back 
from reasons why we don't call upon the mighty name of our God in all times of our life. In fact, within your bulletin this morning throughout the service, there's a get connected card, a welcome home card in there that if you're new today, we'd love for you to fill out. But on the back side of it, there's this discover section. And throughout the message, if there's a place in your life where you feel like you were held back in prayer, I want you to write that in that section and to be honest with yourself and with God about what it is that holds you back. And more than likely, what you'll write about at some point today is that we're held back by our busyness or maybe even our lack of commitment. Or for some of us, we struggle with even knowing what to pray. Like, how do I even engage God in prayer? I don't necessarily know the words I'm supposed to say, or perhaps you were raised in a different background when it comes to repeated prayers or prayers that you would recite during certain times, and maybe you've forgotten what those are. And it's true, there are obvious obstacles in our prayer life. We're busy people, we're social, we're chasing the dreams of future success or we're battling a current mess that's in our laps and oftentimes we don't look up enough to see that I need help. And of course we carry around the whole world in our pocket, right? With our phones that continue to buzz. I can't tell you every time that we do some type of quiet time in student ministry or even last night as we're praying over our time in uh, uh, the trunk or treat area, Phones just going off all the time, binging and beeping and playing pa-pa-pa-pa-plower and everything else that goes along with that. We're distracted. And in the moments where we're not distracted, we make ourselves distracted. Think about when you stopped at McDonald's this morning or when you were waking up out of bed, you had a few moments while you were waiting. And oftentimes what we do in that is we check the news. We scroll through our feed. We see who posted on Be Real the night before. All of these things leave us distracted. In fact, in 1879, Thomas Edison invented, or he said that he invented, the light bulb, which among many things cut back on our sleep time. And I know last night I certainly have lacked some sleep time. But prior to the light bulb, an American slept about 10 hours a night. Think about that. Could you imagine sleeping 10 hours in one night? No one who has children sleeps 10 hours a night. Less than 100 years later, 1960, central air, heating, microwaves, dishwashers, laundry machines were all common in American households. And around that time, sociologists started making predictions about what human life would look like in our era today. And in fact, there was a Senate committee that was charged to predict back in 1967 about how much free time and leisure time we would have. And this is what they came up with. They said that the average American would work a 22-hour work week (laughs) for 27 weeks a year. Because of all the technology, because of all of these aids, we would not have to work as hard nor as long because we have so much automation. And technology would continue to advance, and it sure has. And in many ways, it has saved us a great deal of time. That part they got right. But what they misjudged is how we would use it. You see, we've spent a lot of time on things that waste our time. 
because our priorities have shifted. Still, we still find time to eat, to sleep, for some of us to exercise with some consistency, even in a very busy, very distracted world, we will make time for what really matters for us. And so this points to something deeper. It points to something that's beneath the surface when we have this conversation about prayer. And perhaps we need to ask ourselves, are we not praying because maybe we're afraid of what that means for our life? Now, just as I say that, I know some of you start to kind of lean back in your chair a bit, fold your arms and say, I'm obviously not afraid to pray. There's nothing to be afraid of when it comes to that. But let me give you a few perhaps as we get ready to jump into God's word. Perhaps we don't pray because we're afraid to do it wrong. Perhaps we don't pray because we're afraid that we're going to mess it up. Perhaps we don't pray because we look around to the people who are the professional prayer people, right? The paid prayers. And we try to put ourselves up against that. And we say, well, obviously my prayers don't sound like that. So I must be doing it wrong. Think about it. Even within Christian circles, life groups, small groups, home groups, whatever that is, when someone says, who wants to pray? Why is it that not every person's hand shoots up? It's not because we don't have time. It's because we're afraid. See, oftentimes we treat public prayer like a pop quiz in speech class rather than recognizing the invitation that God has made for us to share with him. I also think that sometimes we don't pray because we're fearful to ask for help. I think we're afraid to admit that we need help. Men, I think that we're afraid to admit that we can't do it all on our own. You see, to pray is to risk trusting in something other than ourselves. To pray is to surrender ourselves to God. It's to open ourselves up and to be honest. And if I'm being truthful, when we pray, it should be messy because we don't have it all together. And that's why we're praying. To pray is to willingly put ourselves in an unguarded and exposed position. And that's scary. Or maybe we don't pray because we are fearful of our own motives as to why we're praying. I think oftentimes we are paralyzed by our own self-conscious or our self-evaluation. I don't know if any of you ever second-guess the words that come out of your mouth, but I sure do. I look back on situations and conversations that I've had or moments that have taken place and I run it over and over and over in my mind trying to evaluate if I said the right things, if I did the right things, if I was being selfish or prideful, if what I said actually resonated. And I think we get ourselves stuck in this idea when it comes to prayer because we begin to ask ourselves, why do I really want this? Or what's behind this request that I've made to God? Or have I put in enough time with God to be asking for something like this? Or am I just texting him when I need something? Or maybe we don't pray because we're fearful of silence. More than ever in our culture, in our world today, we are filled with noise. And we have come to be addicted to it. You see, to be in a real interaction with God that is not 
filled with noise, but rather stillness of our heart with purpose within our time with him, it's gonna equate to some silence where we simply just sit before him. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what if I speak to him and he doesn't answer me in that moment? Does that mean that I've messed it up? Or we try to rush his words into our life? Oftentimes we question if someone is even listening to us if there's no noise within our general conversations with one another, right? Like the best people to talk to are the people that make audible noises when you respond to them, right? Like, mm-hmm, yeah, tell me more about that. Why does that make you feel that way? That's just counseling 101 right there, right? Like that's people paid the big bucks to listen, to just make audible noises back to us whenever we talk. Because we love that. It makes us feel like what we're saying is being heard and valued, but oftentimes in our prayer time with the Lord, that's not how that works. Oftentimes there's stillness that we sit in and quiet that we sit in for a moment. And then God may speak to us in something else through a different situation or through his word. There's not always necessarily gonna be this audible voice that's talking back and forth to us. In fact, Kelsey knows that when I am quiet, that usually means that I'm sleeping. Um, that's the end of our night right there. For silence for me means I'm asleep. But praise be to God, Psalm chapter 121 tells us that he will not let our foot be moved. Rather, he does not slumber, nor does he sleep. God is very present, active, even if in the moment we may not hear an audible voice, but instead he hears us. And this is what Paul begins to lean into with Timothy in chapter two of 1 Timothy. And I want you to see that he's pushing him past these fears and he asks him to step into a life of prayer with humility, with purpose, with honesty, and with boldness. Join me there in verse one of chapter two. Paul says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, in thanksgiving be made for all people. If you have your highlighter or your pen, that's a great spot to underline and to circle that these prayers, these petitions, these intercessions, this idea of thanksgiving is to be made not just for some, but for all, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior, who wants, again, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Not some truth, not just our truth, truth, period. That all people would come to the knowledge of what it is that God has done, is doing, and will do in a personal relationship with him. What I want us to see here is that Paul leads the local church of Ephesus to put prayer as the first priority. Notice his words here. He says, I urge you then, first of all, start with this, he says. Timothy, I know you've got a lot of things that you're concerned about, but begin with prayer. You see, prayer is this invisible foundation that supports all of the other activities in which God is already a part of. Of. And without a proper prayer life, we find ourselves distant from God. And we're positioned to rely on our own strength 
and our own intelligence, which I don't know if you've realized yet, don't get us very far in the grand scheme of what God's desires are for us. Jesus said it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Paul isn't just talking about the need for prayer in general. He's talking about prayer in the way in which it relates to those who don't know who God is. Because again, prayer is for all people. There's not one person we know that doesn't need the presence of God in their life. I just want you to hear that again. There is not one person that you come in contact with in an everyday situation that does not need prayer and the presence of God in their life. Whether or not they recognize it is one thing, but the truth of the matter is they do. And here's the other part of it. There is no person that is too far gone. There is no person that is too buried in sin who cannot be reached by God's grace. No one, including me and you, In the same way, there's no person who is so high and mighty and powerful, whether it's government or social order, who does not need the grace of God in their life. Because the Bible teaches that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin equates to our separation from God, which has determined that we deserve hell. But instead, God's grace has given us his full forgiveness through Jesus. And in the case of this time period of this letter, this also included this cruel and power-hungry emperor by the name of Nero, who, if those of you that don't know, Nero lit his gardens inside of his temple palace and lined the streets of the city in which he governed with the bodies of Christians that were covered in tar and lit them on fire to use them as torches so that they could be, as they claimed, the light of the world. And yet Paul does not call Christians to a political revolution or to take up arms, but he says, first, pray. And this is because Paul knew that all people are sinners and they need to know God as Savior. The reality is is that we might not always be able to directly speak to a person about God based upon situation or purpose or where they are, but we can always speak to God about a person whether they are across the world or in our backyard or whether we ourselves have not had the ability to be able to do it, we can always speak to God about it. Paul uses four words in this prayer to model the structure in which we build the foundation of our life on when it comes to prayer. I want us to look at them. The first is petitions or requests. It goes back to the root word to lack or to be deprived of something. And this kind of prayer arises out of a sense of need, which again, scares us, doesn't it? Because we think that we have all that we need, but we don't. And in fact, we should have confidence that God cares for us and wants to provide because he's a good father. And in the same way, we battle our fear recognizing that we need God to do something that we cannot do. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says, if my people, notice the invitation for us, who are called by my name, set apart, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear, heal their land. Powerful invitation 
that God has made clear. The second piece that Paul gives here is that we are to offer prayers, which seems pretty generalized, but it is a communication with God. And it's not just pigeonholed into a specific lane, but rather it's this open communication with God. You see, Jesus lived and modeled this type of lifestyle as he prayed for his disciples, as he prayed for those around him, as he pulled away and went after what it is that God had for him, and the disciples picked up on it. Because if you remember at the end of Jesus' life, what did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them? Did, he say, did they say, Jesus, we want you to teach us how you did that loaves and fish thing? Jesus, we want you to teach us how you healed that leper. Jesus, we want you to teach us how it is that you do all these amazing things like make the blind see. No, what they asked was, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Because they saw something that they did not have. And I believe the disciples made the connection, as I hope you and I do today, that prayer is the foundation for all of the other things. That it is the very root of what it is that we do with God. You see, Jesus wasn't afraid of being still and silent. In fact, he pursued it. The busier that Jesus' ministry became, the more that we see him pray. The more that we see him pull away and spend intimate time with his Father in heaven. You see, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he wasn't teaching them to pray harder or longer, but he was teaching them to pray differently. Not just the recited prayers that they had grown up in, but rather an intentional conversation with God. Look to his words as he begins to teach them the Lord's Prayer. He leads his disciples to remember who God is. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, remember who you're talking to, but also remember who you are. It says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses. Jesus leads them to understand that it is a need that they have, that they are positioned to need God, to remember that we as people are in need of a father, of a savior, of a provider. And then to remember who we are to each other. He says, and forgive those who trespass against us. That we are all in the same boat that is sinking because of sin. And so let us be mindful of one another as we journey together in the pursuit of what it is that God has for us. You see, this idea of prayer that Jesus taught them opens the door for them to not feel like they're going to mess it up because they're simply just having an honest conversation with God. They're knowing him as loving and powerful and present who wants to be with them. And in the same way, God invites us and Paul leads us to also intercede. The word there that Paul says in 1 Timothy is intercession. And this word comes from the Latin word of intercedo, meaning to come between or to get involved with them. It refers specifically to a request that's made on the behalf of others. There's not just advocacy, but there's also empathy, there's sympathy, there's compassion, there's involvement in the life of other people. 
and the motive behind intercessory prayer that Paul is trying to teach us to be set apart in, that he's trying to teach Timothy to be set apart in, is that when we pray for others in a real and honest way, we are displaying genuine love for them. We are going before the God who can provide and do all things, and we're saying, God, this person, this situation needs you. When Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he isn't describing some real life genie that grants wishes when we figure out the right formula to ask him. He's talking about a prayer that begins with recognizing that the world needs him. He's saying, I want you to know that God's activity is needed in all situations. To pray for someone else is to intentionally choose to turn from the endless spiral of the things that I need, that I want, that I think that I deserve, and to focus in on lovingly engaging the desires, the needs, and the circumstances of another. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself. Our prayer for others, when we intercede for them, when we go before the Lord, it moves us past our fear of selfish motives because it puts the attention on someone else rather than me. Richard Foster said it well when he wrote, if we truly love people, then we will desire for them far more than it is within our own power to give to them. And it will lead us to prayer. And intercession is the way of loving others. If I truly love someone, then I want to give them more than what I can give them. I want them to know the God that can give them everything that they need. Which leads us to the last point that he makes, which is he gives them the instruction for thanksgiving. That's what we're doing this morning. To rejoice always. To pray continually to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for Christ Jesus. When we go to God in prayer and we simply just say, God, thank you for today. Thank you for the breath that's in my lungs. I remember walking in the parking lot this morning before Sunday school class and looking at a huge shelf cloud coming in for the rain that's about to hit us for the next two days. And all I could do as I walked amongst the grounds of where I just saw 2,000 people parade through and be intentionally loved, is just to say, God, thank you for today. Thank you for the sweet stillness of what last night was just amazing, beautiful chaos. And this morning, it's just simple. And I'm grateful for it. It's not polished. It's not perfect. It's relational. Thanksgiving directs our focus to the one who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And that's where we find verse five. This is the truth that Paul leans into Timothy and the truth that he leans into us. For there is one God, for there is one mediator between God and mankind, and that man is Jesus Christ, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people, and this is how we have been witnessed at the proper time. Simply put, we pray because we recognize that it is Christ Jesus that has forgiven us, him and him alone. No other power, nor work, nor any type of man-made creation 
can save us from our own doing. We pray to God because there is only one God and we are his. We pray because his will is better than our plans. When we acknowledge and believe and understand the truth about who God is, that his will is not potentially our will, then we will lean more into his character. We'll lean more into his plans. We'll lean more into his desires. You see, through prayer, we seek to understand our purpose through his plans. We seek to understand the purpose for our life. Man, I don't know where you are this morning, but I would imagine that at some point in time, maybe even today, you're wondering, what is the purpose and plan for my life? I hope that you've heard the good news that Jesus Christ has come for a ransom for you and that his plan is better than yours and that he's invited you into it. Verse seven, and for this purpose, I was appointed as a herald and an apostle. He says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. This isn't fluff, Paul's saying. In fact, this is true and faithfulness from the teacher of the Gentiles. As believers, we are set apart in many ways. And we're learning about that continually through this series. But today I want us to lean into the understanding that prayer is way more about a relationship with God than it is about the words that come out of our mouth. It's about the position of our heart and the understanding that it's God who has made a way for us to know him. It's about recognizing that we have the opportunity to freely choose the God who has intentionally chose us first. It's the very way that we express ourselves to who God is. In fact, in spite of everything, he still even delights in us. This is what compels us to lift our sin-covered hands to God. This is what draws us to him. This is what leads us to say, God, it's your will for my life and not my own. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he formed it on the seas and he established it over the waters. It says, who may ascend on the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? No, there is one God who has cleaned the hands of us and who has allowed us to even be able to approach him in such a way where we can choose him, that we can speak to him, that Jesus Christ stands at the right hand of God and he intercedes on our behalf because he has given the sacrifice for us. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. The one who trusts in Jesus, they will receive blessing from the Lord. They will receive vindication, which means forgiveness from God their Savior. For such a generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. Man, I, I, I hope that we're that generation. I hope that we're the generation that recognizes that it's God who we need more than anything else. That we would get out of the way of the many things that we have so cluttered our hearts and our minds with. That we would recognize these fears that have prevented us from approaching God in that way and that we would just go after it with him. That we'd stop being hindered by the many excuses but instead we would just step into his presence and say, God, here I am. I'm guilty, I'm broken, I'm in need of a savior, and I know, God, that you've given that for Jesus. And when we've done that, we don't just stop and kick our feet up for eternity. 
but instead we recognize that God wants all to know him. And so in that, we pray for all people to know him, that we would be a generation of people that don't exclude or don't pigeonhole, but instead, just like what we saw last night, we say we want everybody to come to know. We want everybody to experience what it is that God has done. And that doesn't just come from the work of our hands. It doesn't come from the sweat of our brow. It comes from a bended knee in submission to God. That's where it starts. A.T. Pierce says there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin with united prayer first. And so here's my invitation for us this morning. As we ride the great excitement of last night, may we position our hearts in such a way where we say, God, we trust your will and purpose. That we would go to him in prayer and say, God, how do you want to use it? And that we would live as people set apart by the way in which we pray. Not just in groups, not just on stages, but in the very stillness of our beds in our cars on the way to work. Man, would we be marked as a people set apart by prayer and watch what it is that God can do. Let's stand together and let's sing about this hope. And I encourage you to be led in what I have hands wide open to God's plan for your life.